All right. Well, having the big picture about something is really helpful. I mean, it's helpful in, in politics. It's, it's helpful in sports. It's helpful in, in when you get a new job to understand the big picture of the company you're with. It's helpful in board games. You know, a couple months ago, Gwen came home one day and said, hey, you know, I heard about this game called Yahtzee, you know, and we should get it and play. We never played. Neither of us really had heard of it. And so um, uh, she bought it and they, you know, brought it home. And basically in the box, you get five dice, a little dice shaker, a rule book, and this pad to keep score on, like. And I was like, huh. <laughs> Anyhow, I um, read that. I had to read the directions, like, two, three times. It was kind of confusing. Like, I didn't quite get it. And there's, there's this scorecard. It has, like, a 14 categories and this and that. I, you know, there's all these details. And I was trying to get my hands around all these details. Now, and I said, well, let's play a couple games. We'll get in. Finally, like, after a couple games and rereading it, it hit me. The big picture is not just, just to fill in all the things, which you got to do. But the big picture is filling in with the most points you can, right? And once I figured out the big picture, I could be going every time. <laughs> no, that's not true. Big picture. I think it's important to regularly step back as a follower of Jesus. And look at the big picture about what God is up to in human history. You know, to see the big thing. Now, this is, this is really important for all of us here. You, you may be a long-time follower of Jesus, but it's important to, to stay with the main and playing, get the big picture. You may be somewhat new and been going along with this for a little bit solidifying what the big picture is really important. For some of you, this may be brand new. You might just be exploring spiritual things. And catching this today could change your life. It's a big deal. You know, it's easy to get caught up in all these little things. We, we get caught up in, you know, maybe what translation of Bible or this theological thing or that thing or church history or discerning new trends or, you know, getting a touch from the Holy Spirit or having some kind of experience. All those things, good, important things. But it is really important to grab the big picture. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees. And so that's why I'm doing this series. Chris asked me to do a two-week series. I said, sure. And as I was thinking about it, I heard this podcast from Tilton Keller and began to think. And I thought, well, let's just look at some big things. So we're going to look at a big thing today and a big thing next week that tie in well together. And so uh, the, the, the memory verse, you got two weeks to remember this. Bob will give you $20. Anybody remembers this by next week, okay? All right. And it, it, hopefully you grab this, bring it home, look at it. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I mean, that's big picture, right? All God's fullness, his greatness, his, his size, his power, his authority. And how it interacts with everybody in the history of humanity. It's a big deal. Here's my first point. God's big passion is redemption of humanity. This is his bullseye. This is his goal. 
This is his, his passion above all else. You see, we see God focus on this redemptive story all through Scripture. And even the first few minutes, it seems like, after humanity's fall, where there was need for redemption, God stepped in and started waving a flag for this. You know, in the beginning of human history, God made Adam and Eve, the first two humans. And he put them in the Garden of Eden, this wonderful, beautiful place where no effects of of, uh, corruption have happened yet. And so it's beautiful, and they're at peace with the animals, and mosquitoes don't bite. I mean, it's awesome, right? And, And they have this great relationship with God. And all God told me, he made a boundary, said, hey, don't mess with the fruit of these two trees. And they did. They, they decided they knew better than God. They decided they were going to do what they want to do regardless of God. They decided this selfish, insecure act. And they were disobedient. And that's called sin. And so sin enters the world. And when God comes to meet them, he has this interaction. Theologians call it the curse. I like to think of it as he has this interaction of um, telling him the consequences of what happens. And he's, the three main players are there, Adam and Eve, and the serpent, who is Satan, this evil spiritual being who's already been thrown out of heaven for his willfulness. And God's talking to, to Satan at this point, And these are consequences. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. She stands for humanity as a first. And between your offspring and hers. And here, her offspring is Jesus. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, it goes, the genealogy goes all the way to Jesus. Like like right now, God's saying, look, there's going to be this thing going on. And Jesus is going to be the epitome of this thing. And he's going to do something. In fact, this is what's going to happen. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right there, God has already given us a foreshadowing of what the story is going to be, of what's going to happen in humanity. That God, the Father, is going to send God the Son to this planet, Jesus, the seed, the seed of Eve, and he is going to, Satan is going to strike his heel. He, he's going to injure him. He, he's going to leave his mark, right? He gets convinces and he's in the midst of the crucifixion, this brutal, terrible, this, you know, torturous death. And in the midst of that, he thinks he won. He bruised his heel. But in the death, was a crushing of Satan, and the death was a payment for all our sins, and the death was, was, was redemption for all of humanity, and in the death came the resurrection that defeated death. And so his head was crushed. The foreshadowing came. And even at that point, there was the grace of God in their sin. They were, they were full of shame. And in their nakedness exposed. 
And for the first time on this planet, there was a shedding of blood. And God killed an animal and gave them the fur to cover them. Redemption already happening. You know, and it goes on, you, uh, the world kind of gets messed up, and, and Moses come, or excuse me, Noah, and there's a redemptive plan through that. And then we go for some time, and the world is full of corruption again, and he calls out of nowhere, he calls this man Abram, the father who becomes a father of faith. And we see that when he calls them, redemption is in the middle of this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you. God is leading this path of redemption. It is a move of grace. It wasn't because Abram was such a great leader, such a great man. It was because God chose him. And I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through you, it was Jesus, his descendant, that all the nations on earth is blessed through Jesus. That we know that Scripture tells us that in heaven, in a final last day, as the, the dead are raised of those who have been redeemed, it'll be from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every nook and cranny of the world, that they will be blessed through the seed of Abraham, Jesus, the redemptive work of God. And the story comes on, continues. He, he, you know, a, a nation does come out of uh, Abraham. But then they're, because of their sin and disobedience, they're brought into slavery, this awful life. We've all experienced slavery, symbolically felt it from, from addictions or relationships or our own brokenness, our relationship with money or sex or power, all these different things. We've been captive. And yet God redeems those who've been enslaved. He raises up Moses, this guy who's been you know, sent away. And in the midst of it, there's all these powerful things, but the ultimate part of the story is the Passover. To free them, there needs to be this, this move of God. And for those who trust God, and listen, he has them all sacrifice, kill a, a ceremonially perfect lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorposts. That night, he sends the angel of death through all of Egypt. And everyone, every home that did not have the blood covering it, the angel of death took the firstborn. But for those who did, the covering of the lamb in their life, death passed over. Redemption. And this these people then escape and are freed from slavery, created nation, and the prophets rise up, and they're always talking about the redemptive work of God, and, and, then, and then comes the dawning of Jesus, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God loved the world so much, he sent him. And even at his birth, these angels, these messengers, from heaven, go out to the working class, the shepherds, look down upon and proclaims, look, hey, the Savior of the world has been born today. 
Redemption's work is at the door right now. Jesus goes and he grows up and is kind of uh, isolated Nazareth. When he's about 30, he steps out. Now is the time for him to begin his ministry. Goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. John sees him hit by the Holy Spirit and proclaims this. He looks and he sees Jesus. He says, he says behold, check it out. Right there, behold. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That this is the key, the ultimate to the redemption plan for humanity. Jesus, as he did his ministry, continued to point to that and say that, proclaim that. Sometimes incredibly clearly that this is the big picture. In fact, one time he says, for the Son of Man, that was what he called himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is my point. This is my purpose. This is my job description. I am here to release redemption for people who desperately need it. Jesus is passionate about giving humanity the opportunity to be free from sin and death and to be refreshed consumed him to make this happen. Minds of the story of a guy named Larry Owens. Now, let me tell you about Larry Owens. But to tell his story, you need to know about this guy named Dan Gable. Dan Gable was the greatest wrestler ever in the history of the sport. Now, of course, you're going to get a wrestling story. This is John. I'm not Chris. I wrestled. I didn't play basketball. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm fouled. You know. <laughs> that was wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> All you basketball players, I know it's a tough sport. I'm just jealous because I'm 5'5". Five five. That's what I'm jealous about. Dan Gabriel, greatest wrestler in the history of the sport. Unbelievable. Dan Gabriel grew up in uh, Dan Gable uh, grew up in Iowa. At that time, the epitome of high school wrestling, toughest wrestlers came out of there. He wrestled four years of varsity. Never lost a single match. Legendary. He goes to college. That time in the '60s, you couldn't play a varsity sport as a freshman. And so his sophomore year at Iowa State, in the toughest wrestling league at the time, undefeated, wins the national championship. His junior year, undefeated, wins the national championship. Incredible run. This guy, Dan Gable, just so you know, 1972 for the Olympics, in like 67, between 67 qualifying matches and Olympic matches, only allowed one point scored on in all those matches. Guys, unbelievable. Larry Owens got thumped by Dan Gable a couple of times. And that fired him up, man. And so... Before the 1970s season, the, after the 1969 season, it was like, I'm going to get this guy. 
and it became his passion, his compulsion. I mean, he was he was so focused on that. He he went, he he would go and see where he's wrestling in tournaments in the summer and watch him. He watched film on the guy. He 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 would do at any waking moment. So I got to be in great shape to beat this guy. Any woke woke woke, woke in moments, he would do push-ups and he'd go. Dan Gable, Dan Gable, Dan Gable. He would run whenever he, whenever he was had time. He'd go running to get in better shape. So and he'd run and he'd picture Dan Gable running through the the cornfields of Iowa and he'd run hills because say that's going to be harder than just running on flat ground. He's obsessed with this guy. They enter the season and they get to the. NCAA tournament at the end of the year and Larry Owens, who is wrestling a higher weight class, dropped down to 142 weight class just so he could wrestle Dan Gable. And a reporter, and, and he had a great season. He would like had one or two losses that season. And a reporter said, well, let me ask you, why did you drop down? Like, you guarantee you're not going to win the national championship now. And because Gable's in your weight class, so why didn't you step? You have a good shot at winning a championship the weight above. And he looked at this report and growled, I'm going to beat him. Well, just as so it happened, they both wrestled into the final match. Dan Gable steps on that mat with a college record of 118 and zero. Never lost in college up to this point. And they go out there and they start wrestling. And of course, Dan takes the lead and is beating them. And second period, continue to beat him. Lots of riding time, wearing him down. But because of this guy's passion and his work, he, he keeps pressing ahead. And somehow he keeps doing it. And he ends up towards the end of the match, out finesse, out, out physicaling this guy, and takes him down and puts him on his back. And Larry Owens beats Dan Gable. It was his passion to win. And he put everything into it to beat Dan Gable. Jesus is the same. It is his passion to win the story of redemption and to win you over. Now, here's my second point. The just God provided justice. The just God, a God who is just, provided the justice that he demanded of everyone. See, all humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every one of us is messed up. Anybody want to argue that? Anybody want to say they haven't done something self-centered in their life, something hurtful, that they haven't hurt people, they haven't hurt themselves, they haven't, you know, been disobedient to God or tried to take their own way? We've all done it, everybody. And there's a penalty for sin. That's called sin when we disobey God, when we do something self-centered, when we, when we don't act in a loving way. And there's a penalty for it. Listen to what the Bible says. This is the word of God. This is the truth. And all through it, it talks about consequences for sin. I mean, a book of Leviticus is a whole book about the consequences of different things. But in the New Testament, it says it like this. For the wages of sin, the payment of sin, the consequence of sin. I get, when I go to work and I work, I, earn, I get wages. They come to me. When we sin, something comes to us. The wages of sin is death. 
is death. It's physical death. It ends up destroying us and destroying humanity. But it's also a spiritual death. That in it, we sin separates us from a holy, pure, wonderful God. That it, it, we pull away, we turn away, we put this, this wall up. That's what sin does. And so now we're isolated. We're, we're away from the source of life. We're away from the source of joy. We're away from the source of healing. We're away from the source of community. All those things that we need, that we've been built for, we get cut off from. The wages of sin are death. Both in this life, in small ways, and in eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he has life in Jesus. When we connect with Jesus, when we're in him, in relationship with him, submitted to him, looking to him, clinging to him in our brokenness, we can have life. That's the way. Let me slow down at this point for a minute because this is really important that we get this. This is countercultural. This is counter our God. Every religion in the world isn't based on this. Every religion in the world is based on this sense of, of, of earning your way to heaven. And this is different. See, God is just. He is fear, fear, fair. You want an all-powerful God to be fair, right? And so there's consequences for actions. There's consequences. What happens with our actions is his, his wrath is stirred. His wrath comes from his justice in him. Now, I know here at the vineyard, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. And I haven't over the last 30 plus years talked about it much. We've talked about the love, but, but the wrath is a reality. The wrath is, 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 listen to this. This is, you know, you might say, oh, I thought God was love. And he is. God is love. But love stirs wrath. Love drives wrath. And wrath is actually a working out of love. And I say, John, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me explain this. Can I talk about a dirty little secret we probably all in this room know? And I'm just going to highlight a little bit. We all know that one of the reasons we get cheap prices is that there's child labor all over the world. That keeps the prices down. Manufacturers do that. I mean, there are sweatshops in New York City. There are, there are you know, these mines in Africa. Diamond mines where they send kids in and the mortality rate is like 50%. That there are, there are, you know, factories in Asia and South America, all over the world. It happens everywhere. When we were in Thailand, Gwen and I, there was a, a, a factory fire that happened that like 120 or something kids died in this fire. And the reason they died, they were jammed in this room and they were literally chained to tables to keep working the 10 to 12 hour days. Child labor, we all know, we, we, we've heard it, it's out there. Kids as long as, you know, maybe five, working, getting pennies, so we can buy something a little cheaper. Dirty little secret we all have. But think about it. 
The reason that we can live with that tension is because we don't know those kids. Just for a moment, imagine that they're your kids. Imagine that you're, they're your grandkids. For a moment, imagine maybe they're your sister or brother or niece or nephew or, and there's somebody that you know and you love and you care about. And they're taken away and they're shoved into this dark room and have to work 12 hours and can't be educated and dealing with, you know, dangerous chemicals because they're throwaway. You would be furious. You would have wrath. You would do whatever you could to destroy that business, to stop that business, to get that manager, stop that foreman who's using your kids, who's hurting those who you love. You'd have wrath because of love. But God so loved the world. God loved every one of those kids. God loves everyone in this room. God is so passionately in love. And when, when people hurt who he loves, the natural byproduct is wrath. And he's a just God. He's got this incredible pulsating value of justice. Let me read you something when Paul was trying to explain this, this big deal thing to the church in Rome. Talking about God's redemption, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. He's saying, look at everybody. Hello, McFly, we're all guilty. We don't get it. We haven't earned it. Therefore, because of this worldwide guilt and brokenness, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Here's the law. The word of God tells us we, we have the, this law written in our hearts. Like all societies, basically, you know, they, a lot of the general stuff, we all know it's wrong to murder. We all know it's wrong to lie. We all know these different things. It's built into us. No one escapes. But, but this righteousness, we know we're not righteous. Now, this word righteousness in in the original language, in Greek, I want to I go a little deeper in this because this is important. This is, this is the main and plain, okay? This word righteousness, in the Greek sense, is validating performance that opens doors. When someone's righteous, they're right. They have a validating performance and it opens doors for them. Right now, think about it. Think about it in you go for a job. You give your resume. You think you deserve to right? Your resume is your validating performance that should open the job for this job for you. Like, hey, yeah, I've done these things. I, I can do that job. In the academic world, your transcripts, same thing, right? It's like, hey, I've, this is your validating performance. I've, I've taken these classes. I've gotten these grades. I've done this work. See, I should be in your program. It's validating performance that opens the door to me. That's what righteousness is. That's what the righteousness of God is. That's what we don't have. We don't have a validating performance that opens the door for eternal life with God. But now, now that Jesus has come, Paul goes on. Now, that Jesus has been on the cross. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, the validating performance of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets 
testify. This righteousness, this validating performance opens doors, this life of Christ, right, is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. You connect with Jesus, you get his resume. You connect with Jesus, you get his transcript. This is validating now. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for, for, Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, Republican, Democrat, black, white, Latino, Asian, you know, uh, Native American, everybody, young, old, educated, uneducated, we all fall. Religious, non-religious, we've all done it. And all fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified by his, his grace, his resume, right? Justified. Can I, can I slow this down one more time? I want you to understand this. I, I, I heard this, and I, I listened to this podcast like three times because I said, this is putting words in this that help it, me understand. Justification. The Greek sense of that word, right? I always remembered uh, just as if I hadn't sinned, like, you know, I got pardoned. Pardoned is a part of this, but it's more than that. It, it's supersized from that. It, it's, it's pardon 2.0. It's pardon plus, okay? That's what justification is. It's more, so you get pardoned, but it also, this word justification has a sense of bestowing of status, so you're forgiven, but you're also connected, invited in. You, you, you're, you know, you, you, okay, you, you, you're free, you're pardoned, go ahead, but you're also invited into something else. Think about it this way. Let's say I'm president of the United States, and you're in jail. Easier than you thought, huh? Um, so... I go and I pardon you. So that means you're taken out of jail. You're, you're saying, hey, we're going to just cancel your debt. That's what a pardon is. You're, you're set free, free to go. But this word justification in the scriptures, pardon plus, is more than that. It'd be if I pardon you, okay, you're out of jail, but now you're also invited in. You're given, you're brought to the White House and given a congressional medal of honor. All these doors open to you. Now you have status and you have this place of, of privilege. That's the kind of justification that God gives us. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but we're invited in to be family, to be more than conquerors, to, to, be, to be ambassadors and citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. That we're given this prison, pri privilege to be, to be uh, 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 priests. It's incredible. Forgiven and invited up and in. Restored completely. God presented Christ as a sacrifice for atonement through the shedding of his blood. That there is a Here's an old English word, a propitiation of sin. That means this atonement, the sacrifice of atonement, 
means that God's wrath was turned away, that God's wrath was satisfied, that somebody paid the bill, took the punishment, go to the cross, right, where Satan's head was crushed, where death was defeated, right? You go there. And if you remember, Jesus is on the cross, and at one moment, he yells, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on in that moment? He was being, uh, the, the propitiation of our sin, he was taking it all at that moment. All the sins of past, all the sins of present, all the sins of future, all, all the damage, all the debt owned to God's moral ledger was put on him. Every awful, rotten thing that you and I are too ashamed to tell anybody else, he knew and he took. And at that moment, because of all that, God the Father and God the Son, for the first time, there is space between them. And that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, had to turn their eyes away. And for the first time, Jesus felt the wrath of God, the anger of God, the isolation from God. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know this too, on the cross after that, he said this, it is finished. The job is done. The bill is paid. You, the wrath has been absorbed. And all of humanity now has a way out. That's the redemption work of Jesus. You know, Jesus was, his love drove him to that place to take the wrath for our sins. Let me tell you a story I heard about a, a dad in Colorado who took a couple of his sons on his hike. It was spring, nice spring day. So they drive up, you can drive up pretty high elevation, and then they start hiking. And it was this kind of pass where, where storms just kind of came out of nowhere, bad storms at times, kind of had that reputation, but it seemed like it was good. Nothing was in the weather report. And they head up there. And as they're about to turn around, suddenly one of these storms come out of nowhere and it starts hitting them and they're trying to get down, but they realize that the wind is, is, you know, sending these snow across sideways, a temperature drop. It was freezing. They had like spring clothes and it was a, a blizzard. And the dad knew we can't keep walking. We got to try to find shelter. And all they could find was out of this side with a little rock, there's this little indentation, just a tiny cave. And so he put his two kids in and he squished into that, that to kind of be protected a little bit from the wind. And as snow was coming, then he laid across the opening to guard their bodies. And a storm and a wind and a snow was hitting them. And every once in a while, he'd reach out and he'd dig a hole. So that, so that air could get down into this. He had previously, before, they put a little string, he tied it on a, a, a piece of cloth on a, on a tree right near them. So if rescuers came and they were buried in an ambulance, they would know that, that, that they were there. And sure enough, you know, the wife called him in missing and, and in the morning and crack of dawn, they sent a rescue crew up there and they eventually saw the, the, the cloth and, they dug around, they found, they, they dug, and they, they saw the hole, and they dug, and the two kids were alive. 
They were, they were frozen, but they made it. But the dad was dead. That he laid his life down to stop the wrath of the storm hitting his kids. He sacrificed himself because of love. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Now, let me just end with this last point. We must respond. It's not automatic. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what culture you grew up in. It doesn't matter what you know in your head or what phrases you can spout. You need to do something. See, Jesus paid the price for our sin, but we have to cash that in. We can have his righteousness, but we need to respond to the offer that he's made. Paul wrote this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, just like I talked about on the cross, right? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, that we'll have his validating performance that opens doors for us. We get his resume. It, it's released in Jesus. We connect with him. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can get to the Father through me. Your sin has blocked you off, but I am the way. I have created space. I have built this rescue plan. And anybody, it is all-inclusive, anybody can take this plan and go with it. But I am the way. you got to go through me, with me. I am the truth. This isn't a lie. This is, this is the reality, and I am full of this reality, and I know and understand the wrath of God, and I've, I've, I've satisfied it. I am the life. I'm the lifeboat. If you grab a hold of me, you will live a, a life that, that is abundant here on earth, that is more joy-filled and community-centered and, and healing, but you also have eternity with me in the new heaven and the new earth where there is no more tears and there is no more pain. It's that or it's death. Isolation from all that is good and loving and joy-filled forever. We have to make this response. Let me read you one last truth from the word of God. If, and this goes for everybody, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's the boss, he's my savior, I'm submitted to him, I, I, he did all this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold his hand as best I can. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. From the wrath of God. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. You're pardoned and you're given placement. You're justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, you're saved. We need Jesus has paid the price and offered the gift, and we need to respond. We need to 
cash in. You know, years ago, somebody gave me a gift certificate. Back in the day when gift certificates, some of you may remember this, were paper. <laughs> and they gave me this gift certificate. And it was a restaurant that, that wasn't easy for us to get to. And, you know, it was, it was a nice one. And we'd always like, oh, we got time to go out tonight. Oh, we don't want to go all the way over there. And we'd put it off. We'd put it off. We'd put it off. So finally, one day, I grabbed and I said, hey, we're going to go. This is great. It's a really good offer. And so we got it, and we started looking at it as we were getting in the car, and it had an expiration date. Of course, the first thing I thought of was, can I erase that? <laughs> it expired. I missed my chance. I didn't claim this thing that I had, and I lost out. Some of you in this room that have not claimed all that Jesus has done for you. And I want to give you an opportunity right now, right here, to claim that. And so I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. With your eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in a conversation with Jesus. He can hear what you say in the quietness of your heart. So you can just repeat after me in the quietness of your heart. But say it if you mean it. Let's say this. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the people I've hurt. I'm sorry for pushing you away. I'm sorry for the pain that I've brought to this planet. Please forgive me. I want you. I want your redemption. I need your justification. Please take me. I'm yours. Jesus, I pray for the women and men in this room who just for the first time with a clear understanding, said, yes, I need you. I give you my life. I pray even right now that you would begin to touch them and fill them and wash away guilt and shame. I pray for a new empowerment. I pray you give them a glimpse of the joy that you can bring to their life. I pray for healing. May the kingdom of God come in their lives now, I pray. And I pray for everyone else in this room. I pray that this truth, would wreck them. I pray, Lord, that, that, that the, those who've been following you for years could not sit still with this truth. I pray you would impassion them to share this truth with their neighbors and their friends and their family and their co-workers and their co-students. I, I pray, Lord, that, that you would give a passion that would announce this incredible news that redemption is possible. And it's free to us. Bless us with this, I pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what I got to do, Ashley, real quick. Grab your connection card. On your connection card, if you look, it says on the bottom, um, I commit my life to Jesus for the first time today. If you did that, I, I think it's really important you check that. It's proclaiming it. It's letting people know 
It's important to do. I want to pray for you by name this week if you did that. I want to, we'll get you, send you some information on how to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Very important. Do that. If you lost your connection card, you never had one, if you say, I don't want to do that, then I'll ask you to do this. At least come to me on your way out and just give me a thumbs up. Give me, say, I did it. Let's just proclaim it in some way. It's important. Uh, ushers, come out front. You can um, stick your connection card in the buckets. Uh, they'll be taking them. As they are doing that, let me just explain to you, too. Right at this service, we'll have prayer teams here. Uh, they're people gifted in prayer. And so they will, um, whatever you got going on, let them pray for you. We've seen God do literally physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial miracles. And so if there's somewhere in your life you really need the power of God to interrupt, come on up and let them pray for you and let's see what, what God does. Okay, why don't we all stand and I'm going um, to pray to close. Jesus, thank you for your incredible redemptive work. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this truth would lead us into worship all week. I pray it would lead us into compassion all week. I pray this, this truth will not escape our hearts in any way. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week this week.